Welcome back to another edition of the GP Fan Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend. And of course, you can find us on Anchor.fm, our host and all good podcasting outlets where you can rate, review, like and subscribe to the podcast. Hit the subscribe button if you're watching down, of course, on the YouTube channel as well to stay up to date with all of our content from the channel. Get on to gpfans.com and on Twitter and Instagram at gpfansglobal. You can find the fine minds of this tremendous trio of typewriters that join me each and every time after a Sunday race event. We have, of course, Ian Parks, Sam Hall and Ewan Gale to break down all the action from the Qatar Grand Prix, where up front, I will say, Ian, and you can tell us this better than most of us, because uh, as I gather, you've been out there uh, enjoying a bit of winter sunshine in Qatar. There wasn't too much of a problem for Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. It was very routine, but it was all tasty on Sunday, directly behind them in the middle of the pack. Uh, yeah, greetings, everyone, from uh, my car. <laughs> as you can probably <laughs> tell, that's because I've uh, not long landed uh, from Doha. Um, for anybody watching this or listening, uh, a couple of hours in now, and just heading up the road back home. Uh, so we've got to get this podcast going somehow. And uh, here I am sat in my car, Oxford Services. So hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just quickly breaking it down. Um, a tremendous weekend in some respects, given everything that was off track. On track, yeah, we all suspected it wasn't going to be uh, the best of circuits for racing. Medium to high speed corners, uh, difficult to follow in many respects. And that's exactly what we saw for the most part. On the other side of that, there was, it actually the circuit actually surprised a few of the drivers, I think. They, they were fully anticipating that it was just gonna be nowhere to pass, uh, even with the DRS uh, heading into turn one particularly with turn one being a medium speed corner as well. Uh, so yeah, they, they were actually quite surprised. Predominantly, they were surprised because of tyre wear. And um, I'm sure we're going to get onto that later in the programme as well, given the four punctures that we saw uh, during the race itself. Uh, yeah, so the, as we saw, I think early on, that apart from lap one, it seemed to settle down for a little while. And then once the various tyre strategies came into play and each team seemed to be seemed to be working those tyres differently and having different problems with their rubber that's when the overtaking manoeuvres started to come in so it wasn't the best of races but it most certainly wasn't the worst we've seen either this season. It was certainly tastier than perhaps we were expecting as you say from some of the other races that we've had this year. Sam is there more, though, to talk about with everything that's gone on off the track between Christian Horner, of course, and his march, frog march up to the stewards after Sunday and the, and the back and forth that continues with Toto Wolff and the decisions that were made in terms of what happened in Brazil leading into this? Is that is that more interesting almost than the action on track? Because there's still a Fernando Alonso performance from a weekend that was incredible. The middle of the pack had some real bright, shining stars at various moments this weekend, too. To be honest... Um... And hi, everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, th I think the off-track antics um, definitely did overshadow the weekend um, because you couldn't turn on your TV without seeing Christian Horner said this, Toto Wolf said this, and it was very he said, she said, um, and those two sitting alongside each other in the team principals press conference on Friday. Whoever put that together, genius, loved it. <laughs> um, but and you could feel the tension there as as well. Um, but I think this was very much 
if you enjoyed pure driving skill this was a race for you that you would have got a lot out of because Lewis and Lewis and Max two two and a half seconds quicker than anyone else on that track was just insane they were driving different formula cars altogether um, that's not me speculating anything untoward there by the way that's just they, they were driving as fast as you'd expect a category up to be driving um, but yeah I, I do think and um, I asked Toto this on Sunday um, if there needs to be more respect of the referees um, respect to the FIA um, he was a bit coy on his response really he wasn't he didn't seem to think that there was too much being done wrong but I think especially after Christian Horner's comments about a rogue marshal with Max Verstappen getting his penalty after qualifying, I do think that things need to be reined back in and maybe team principals, potentially drivers as well, just need to be reminded, remember these guys are here to just set the rules and make sure you follow them. Just be give a bit more respect to everyone, really. I'm just going to add a little bit to that, if you don't mind, Ollie, because... Obviously, Christian Horner crossed the line in that he criticised a marshal. And as the FIA race director, Michael Massey, uh, said to us last night, last night being Sunday for anybody that might be listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or whenever, uh, he will defend his marshals, his team, as he sees them, to the absolute hilt. They are part of the FIA, uh, part of the FIA family. Um, you know, they do the job willingly. They're not paid for it. They're volunteers and he will not stand for any criticism of them whatsoever. So Toto Wolf being slightly coy in response to Sam's question to him last night. I can understand that a little bit because if we go back to the previous weekend, Lewis Hamilton had just won that race. We saw quite an aggressive Toto Wolf sitting on his little perch inside the Mercedes garage, doing that quite pointedly, obviously sticking his finger, mouthing something that only somebody who maybe lips reads German could understand. And of course, there was the radio message to Lewis Hamilton after he'd won that race, expletive them all. And no need for me to, you know, need to fill in the blank what that expletive was, of course. So because that was more general and Whereas Christian was a bit more pointed. No, well, he was exceptionally pointed with his remark, picking out a marshal. That's where that difference lies. So, but still, there should also be this level of respect, and we're just not seeing that at the moment. Uh, we, we, will let, we'll, we'll, we will let you and get a word in in a minute. Um, <laughs> honest, he, he is actually here, if you're listening. He is genuinely sitting here. Um, but also, I think part of the reason Toto was a bit coy was maybe because on the grid in Brazil... He said that he believed Mercedes was playing to a different rule, different set of rules, that there were two rule books, which I think if that had been said this weekend after Christian got summoned to the stewards, I think he knows he may have been walking a bit of a fine line there. And that could have also helped in the FIA deciding, no, we've got to draw a line here. We've got to summon someone and say, stop it. I think it was also bad timing on Christian's part because it was a weekend that the FIA had marked out as a recognition of volunteers in motorsport. And, you know, to then go and say what he said on that weekend probably led to, not his downfall, that's a bit strong, but, you know, that's what got him in hot water. What he did say afterwards, though, I thought was quite right, is that, that 
there's a learning point for everyone in this situation. There's been a few inconsistencies recently. There's been a few uh, things that perhaps haven't been as tight as they could be, especially at this stage of the championship. I mean, we were talking off air just now while uh, Ian was getting himself ready. That uh, We're saying how pressure affects each party. And I, I made the point of, well, I think it affects the FIA as well because they're as much a part of this as anyone else because if they make the wrong decision, then that's got huge ramifications. We were talking about the grid just now, weren't we? And and as Sam pointed out, you know, the FIA have explained why Bottas started sixth. But to anyone else who's watching that race and looking at someone who had a three-place grid penalty, qualified third, the person in front of him got a penalty, and the person who qualified seventh, four places behind him, starting ahead of him, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's not a good look for the FIA to be changing the grid however long it was before the race started. It's not a good look for Red Bull, the Christian Horners going off and uh, singling out a marshal. It's not a good look that Total Wolf's telling people where to stick it after winning a race and coming back through the field. And, uh, you know, as Sam said, I think someone just needs to grab a hold of everyone and go, come on now, guys. It's, It's the best season that we've had forever. Don't ruin it. Because you want F1 to come out of this well, not badly. This is part of F1, though, isn't it? This is all part of what we love about F1. Yeah, we love the on-track stuff. Of course you do. But F1 is also about the drama going on behind the scenes. And finally, we have that going on behind the scenes this year. Because the past six seasons, it's pretty much all been Mercedes. Now we've got something to really get our teeth into. Uh, and providing great discussion points like we're having now. Uh, it's, it's what we want. It's what we love and what we want about F1, and we're getting it from on and off track. And I don't think we can criticise it too much, to be fair, because it's just fantastic drama at the moment. And, um, yeah, bring on the next two races, because we know they're just going to be mega as well. So, But Ewan, you seem to suggest almost that Christian Horner, while perhaps being a little bit too outspoken this weekend, because of things like the, you know, the mess-up of just trying to get a grid put together for this Sunday... When they a bit out, when they are a bit outspoken, these team principals about the FIA and some of the decisions, they've kind of got a point this year. As we've mentioned, the inconsistencies that have been throughout this championship season so far, you know, in terms of track limits, in terms of punishments, in terms of you know reprimands in and around what are being said by the two team principals, Christian Horner might have a bit of validation just to feel a bit exasperated, particularly in what is such a tight and it's even tighter now, both the constructors and drivers' championship battles this season. Yeah, well, I mean, as we said in Brazil last weekend, we, we sort of understood why Mercedes were annoyed about the disqualification, even though we knew it was a slam dunk. We said, well, hang on, Red Bull have had red, uh, rear wing issues for however many weeks. And again, we go back to the consistency of what's happening. Um, as Sam rightly pointed out, how often do we hear people singling out the FIA for decisions? Um, uh, even this weekend, after the race, so we've gone a whole practice session, qualifying session, and another race since Brazil. Carlos Sainz still said, we don't know what we're meant to be doing when we're racing after the whole Verstappen-Hamilton thing last week. Um, no, it needs clearing up. Everything needs clearing up. I don't think Toto Wolff or Christian Horner have been too outspoken. I think they've just been themselves, and I think that's a good thing. As Ian said, it's what we've been waiting for. I think sometimes it's a bit too much too often you know it's great to see them going at each other but when it's every five minutes it's a little bit like 
come on, guys, you know, you're grown men. But, <laughs> but I do see why Christian Horner has stood by his guns a little bit and said, I'm going to say how it is. He's obviously uh, apologised for any offence that was taken in singling out the marshal. But I think, as I said at the start of the podcast, that I think the fundamental thing of what you were saying is probably true, that you shouldn't have in the highest echelon of motor racing three races before the end of the season. shouldn't have a signalling issue with yellow flags, whether it is a yellow flag or not a yellow flag or a green flag and DRS is open. And Carlos Sainz went through the same area with DRS fully open, lifted like 20 metres before the line, passed the danger and got away with it. So is that right or is it not right? Um, I thought all of this was getting cleared up when they brought the yellow flag rules in a few a few weeks ago when they were just going to delete the laps when if there were yellow flags in qualifying maybe I'm wrong maybe maybe I've missed the point there somewhere well that de- that deletes the lap time but we it doesn't necessarily take into account the grid penalties as well and get lapped on top of it and as we've said you have to look at each individual scenario and how dangerous it was as well and treat every single case as an individual level so maybe that's what the FIA has done this time I think there might just be an element as well and correct me if I'm wrong here gentlemen of Formula One hasn't had a championship like this for a while and hasn't had the same attention and drama surrounding it for a long period of time. And it's almost like F1 as a sport needs to work out where it wants to sit with the traditionalist, respectful, almost like cricket style, uh, unspoken authority, if you will. And uh, Or if it wants to go for the, right, let's capitalise on the drama of a Netflix drive to survive. And, and we've got that going constantly through this season. And all, people are already talking about the current series that's going to come out later in the year of that and and it's stuck between two minds of what camp it wants to play itself in well it's the same really with track limits and the whole discussion there isn't it i mean everyone knows everyone can read the rule book and the fia sporting code and the track limits are the white lines um the any drivers that i've spoken to about it they've all every driver says the white lines are where the track should be i mean um, asked Danny Ricardo, Lando Norris about that this weekend and they, they just said yeah you're right it should be, we don't know why it's not it should be the white lines um, but F1 because it's too hard for the drivers to stay within the white lines or for whatever reason I mean they can jump into whatever other car they want and they've got to stay be- between the white lines, as soon as you're in an F1 car you've got the edge of the curbs, you've got if you really want the edge of the gravel trap five miles to the left, that can be the edge of the track, I mean <laughs> Yeah, it it makes no sense. Some of the way F one is, well, not being governed, but the way some of the rules are being applied at the moment. Um, to me, it should be you've got a rule, you stick to it. If you're not going to stick to the rule, you create immediately this dodgy grey area that someone is going to exploit, and occasionally a steward will go, "Yes, that's okay," but then occasionally they'll go, "No." If you stick to the rules, there's no issue of inconsistency at all. Because there's no grey area. Speaking of Netflix, guess which two teams the Netflix crews were with at the weekend? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is going to be a spicy one, isn't it? No prizes for guessing which two teams. <laughs> they should have just had them on those two teams for the whole damn series. Just don't worry about it. Everybody else can sit in the back finally, and it's it's all about those two. Um, let's talk about the top two then and the impact that the Constructors' battlers had because of Pirelli's potential problems with the tyres, or is it the driver's that were just too rough and ready and the team's far too aggressive in terms of their strategy in dealing with the harder tyres going into this weekend on a tough surface that hasn't been resurfaced in a very long time, the low sales circuit. Those really abrasive, kind of edged, 
curbs that you had, of course, on the green and white ones were causing a lot of problems, particularly on the undercarriage of the F1 cars this weekend and the impact and the drama it at least gave us. But Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes will be perhaps really regretting telling him to push so hard early on when he fell backwards and keeping him out for so long on the medium tyre that eventually gave way on lap 34, I think it was, and has cost them a considerable amount of points in the constructors' battalion. Yeah, I think we saw with Valtteri uh, my exact point at the start because he had a he had a, a shocking start, dropped from seventh to eleventh at the end of lap one, and then spent a good number of laps stuck in eleventh to such a point that Toto Wolff had to come on the radio and say, "Come on, Valtteri, pull your finger out!" Almost <laughs> effectively, but as we saw, once those tyres started to um, play their role, he was able to make up places, and yes, he was running comfortably. On course, you uh, certainly top four, top five. They're even suggesting at Mercedes that he got a chance of a podium if he kept going the way he did. But they went long. They went super long. And as we saw, once his tyre went, then obviously that changed the strategies of quite a number of teams. Sergio Perez, for one, at Red Bull. As soon as they saw that, that he said, right, we're not taking the gamble here. We're going to go two-stop, play it conservative, play it safe. And they bagged their points. Alpine, on the other hand, went a different route. They did go the one-stop strategy. They stuck with their guns and it paid off absolutely handsomely for Fernando Alonso. So it was just one of those, you pays your money, you takes your choice as to what was going to happen. And just unfortunately for Valtteri, for Lando and the two Williams drivers, they had their tyre issues. Now, Lando, you look at Lando, he'd only done 20 laps on the hard tyre. The hard tyre. But uh, speaking to Mario Isola, um after the race it's one of those that yes if any part of the tire is susceptible it's the sidewall and unfortunately the high loads combined with the aggressive curbs it's unfortunately from what we can see the investigation is ongoing as we speak on monday afternoon uh pirelli uh, it does look like there were cuts because there were so quick now they weren't immediate as some drivers pointed out because they managed to at least make it back to the pits and get a tire change so the tire didn't absolutely just explode all over the place remember max verstappen uh was it uh imola i remember right baku yeah i was well baku and obviously um, this year and obviously the the one in italy last year as well if i remember right and that was just absolutely instantaneous. The whole tyre goes. But on this occasion, yeah, it's a cut. The tyre starts to starts to come off, but they've still got enough to get back to the pits and get a change. Um, just real unfortunate what happened. Um, does it have any effect for next year going forward into 2022 and the tyres, the, the construction that's going to be on those tyres? Mario says not because those tyres have already been homologated right now. So we're just looks like this was just going to be one of those one-off circuits, one-off situations whereby, as I say, the combination of the high loads with the aggressive curbs and we had, we saw the drama that unfolded and unfortunately, as you rightly pointed out, Ali, it greatly affected Valtteri and greatly affected Mercedes to such a point now we've just got a five-point cushion between Mercedes and Red Bull going into these last two races. I mean, I don't know if I'm siding with Pirelli too much here, but is this just not the case of you know, we all knew this was going to be a tough circuit for the tyres because that's why they brought the hardest compounds that they had to this race. 
And it's on the teams to make the decision of whether they're going to risk it and be very risky with a one-stop strategy, as we saw Alpine were able to benefit thanks to the virtual safety car as well later on. Or do you play it slightly safer and hope that maybe you can get the pace of a two-stop strategy? And to, to finger point at Pirelli, when you know what this circuit is going to be like going into the weekend, seems a little bit odd when the teams could have made their choices, rolled the dice. You know, Alpine, we were hearing, they were constantly telling Alonso, go soft, go soft, go soft on these tyres because we don't know how long they'll last. They were willing to risk it and the risk paid off. But for others, they, they took the risk and it didn't. And that's why it's called a risk. Well, the thing for me is we see a lot of tracks where there are certain elements of the track that have got high speed corners but this track was a rarity in the fact that it was all mid to high speed corners there was no moment of let up for the tires um i mean even the main straight it wasn't it's not one of the longest we see on the f1 calendar it's not like um shanghai the the back straight there um so the tires were constantly working and therefore the heat in the tires had no no time to dissipate it was always tyres on the verge of overheating um, and the loads just never stopping so it, it is a real 50-50 I mean yes the teams could have foreseen this would happen I mean George Russell said, has said that Williams um, anticipated it happening um, but I mean if Williams anticipated it happening why did they let it happen to both cars that's the flip side of that one um, so it's got to be the team's got to take an element of blame here because you can't if you want tires that can cope with anything go forever you make them out of stone you don't you don't make a tire out of rubber and expect it to be able to go go forever yes 20 laps is far shorter than you would ever expect them to go especially the hard compound but we saw was it Lando Norris who pitted last on the soft tire did about 30 laps on his soft tire so i mean they they weren't that bad the tires if a soft can go 30 odd laps yeah and and this is the thing i was going to mention is that the three situations were completely different across the teams from what i could see as sam said williams expected almost the tires to go and williams problem is that cuz they weren't a very good package at qatar they were having to push harder through the higher load sections of the track and just to uh, build on what Ian was saying imagine uh, you've got a balloon that's underinflated. you push down on the middle where, where you make the knot you push down on the middle and it's fine if you push your pressure to one side of that balloon where it starts bulging it will pop exactly the same with the F1 tyre that's what happened to the two Williams cars is because they were having to push harder the loads were higher they were pushing the rubber onto the sidewall and then they were just letting go. Slightly different with the other two. I think the other two were to do with curbs. Although Bottas had run three or four laps over the uh, limit that Pirelli thought was right for those medium tyres. Norris, as uh, Ian and Sam have said, really bizarre in a way because uh, 20 laps on a hard tyre, it shouldn't go bang. So Norris is the one that I'd be more concerned of if I was Pirelli. The other two sort of make a little bit more sense. I, I'd call them more punctures and less failures. Um, really, looking at the, the the incidents. But that's the problem Pirelli have got, is that across the four punctures, the three teams, they were all different circumstances. It wasn't like Stroll and Verstappen in Baku, where it was one very clear cause. It did at least give us some drama, though, towards the end of a race, and a race that... 
for a large part of it, lacked a fair bit of drama, as we've touched on already. But the title battles and where everything stands now, it's very dramatic indeed. I mean, Ian, going into the last two races, of course, coming up on the uh, starting on the 5th of December, when we go to Saudi Arabia for the first time for a racing event there at Jeddah, the title couldn't be better poised for the neutral. It couldn't be worse for Red Bull and Mercedes at this point. But what are we expecting in terms of have Mercedes got it right at the perfect time? Have they have a clear-cut advantage right now? Or have Red Bull done enough over this weekend to get that straight-line speed back up alongside Mercedes to be able to compete? Because right now, if you're just looking at the last two races, Hamilton's dominated the last two weekends pretty much from start to finish. He struggled on Friday this weekend, but Saturday and Sunday was so impressive and imperious once more from the seven-time world champion. And I think Toto Wolf called it right, didn't he? He said, given what happened... At, uh, at Interlagos, uh, the lion has been awakened. And we've seen, as you say, two imperious performances from Lewis. He's pulled it out of the bag when he needed them most, to be honest with you, because it was looking after Mexico City as if it was swinging towards Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Uh, but it's just been one of those seasons where you go to any race and you honestly can't call it as to which team will be on top or should be on top. Momentum has shifted from one race weekend to another near enough. Now, the suggestion is that the street circuit at Jeddah, which is laying claim to be the fastest street circuit in Formula One, and it does look pretty good, to be fair, from from what we've seen so far, uh, from the little computer graphic on board that they've put out does look pretty decent some good straights leading into tight corners and we might get some overtaking so the suggestion is as i say mercedes uh, should be the team to beat at that track again but of course now we've got christian horner saying after what happened uh in doha ah now we're back on par again with mercedes on this straight line because they've been forced to slightly alter their wing. Ah, these rear wings, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'm, I do agree with Ian's assessment somewhat of the Saudi track, because, I mean, as you could probably see, those watching on YouTube, me and Ewan were nodding frantically at Ian's, Ian's saying it's going to be the fastest circuit. We've both been playing on the F121 game, and... Uh, Ewan is unfortunately slightly quicker quicker than me at the moment, but it's one hell of a track. I mean, um, I don't think overtaking is going to be that good because the heavy the braking zones aren't actually that heavy. Um, probably only into the final corner is where you're going to get overtaking, I think. Maybe, yeah, turn one under DRS with the ERS as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a quick track. Um, the drivers are going to absolutely love that. It's a proper driver's circuit. Um, as well, the walls are right there. I mean, all it takes is one slight misjudgment of a corner and that's your championship over if you're Lewis Hamilton. If you're Max, you're guaranteed that you've got another shot at it in the final race. If you're Lewis, one mistake now, game over. Um, I don't think that's going to affect Lewis because he's been in this situation so many times before and we've seen him cope with it so well um anyone who remembers 2008 and interlagos there just he'll cope with anything um but I, it's um 
it's squeaky bum time for Lewis. Put it that way. If you close your eyes um, with the Jeddah Street Circuit, Street Circuit in inverted commas, um, and transport the circuit to a field in the middle of Germany or France or Britain, it, it feels like an old school circuit, the way it flows. It's so good. A lot of it is close your eyes, take a deep breath, and hope you come out the other corner uh, with all your wheels on it. It is properly scary in some places how fast it is. Um, but let's remember, Mercedes have already said that the super-duper fast engine that Hamilton had in Brazil is going back in the car. How much of a difference will that prove to be? And is that why the straight-line speeds were so similar in Qatar? Yeah, because obviously you, Lewis had the other engine. He's not the Brazil engine. So that exactly. that should... you got to think that's going to play a part and Abu Dhabi just to conclude because you did refer to both races there Ollie that's now become a little bit of an unknown because as we know um, the Abu Dhabi circuit people have decided to make changes uh, they've put in this banked uh, corner now uh, that uh, comes you come out of that corner that that's the one that heads onto that big long straight back straight and so we just Nobody's nobody quite knows what to expect with that. That's a real um, let's wait and see, I think, on that one. But you've got to think that, as the guys have just pointed out, that um, what's just been pointed out with regard to the the engine uh, in Lewis's car, that it should favour Mercedes. And if that's the case, and if Lewis comes out ahead and Max is second, as we're probably going to think, so then it comes down to who gets the fastest lap. And we could be going into Abu Dhabi if they finish one and two again with just a point or two between them. And then it really does become winner-take-all. And wouldn't that be the perfect end to the most captivating season that we've had in quite some time? Could you imagine if both championships go in dead level into Abu Dhabi? If we thought that the tensions were high in the last race in Qatar... Oh, they're going to be something different in Abu Dhabi. Well, Sergio Perez has got to up his Saturday game again, if that's going to be the case, because they can't have another Saturday with him like they had in Qatar. Valtteri Bottas has got to finish the race and ensure he can get it round. Those two second drivers for Mercedes and Red Bull become massive, while Lewis has the go faster button on the engine going into the last two races of the season. Gentlemen, we'll leave it there, because I know Ian wants to get away and get back home after a long weekend watching Formula One trackside. Guys, it's a tough life. For the big boss in charge at GP fans but you can tell his dedication not only is he doing it from the car but he's also got a piece out on gpfans.com of how Max Verstappen can win the title in Saudi Arabia on December the 5th all the permutations of that so get onto the website and have a look at that and all of the articles that these three fine gentlemen are putting out throughout the end of this incredible season at gpfans global on Twitter and Instagram as well is where you can get links to their work of course on the YouTube channel hit the subscribe button down below and stay up to date with everything that we do and finally, Anchor.fm, our host and all good podcasting outlets to like, review and subscribe to the podcast as well. And we will be back on December 6th, where it's starting to get Christmassy, but all of our attention will still be on the championship battle. Until then, take care.